0: Today is April 5th, 2021, and this is episode number 46 of Blurred Laws and Life. With me, your host, Richard Bush. In today's episode of Blurred Laws and Life, we're going to get back to our roots. We're going to get back to discussing a very interesting case of alleged copyright infringement And it involves most noticeably a decision or decisions and a procedural disposition that is directly related to an issue that we have spoken about and criticized in previous episodes of Blurred Laws in Life. This litigation is the ultimate example of how idiotic The law can be the procedural complexities in the law and how, no matter what the merits suggest an outcome should be, the judges involved can have a direct impact on how a case or cases play out. So I think you all will really enjoy the discussion we're going to have on this episode of Blur Laws in Life today. I am recording this episode of Blurred Laws in Life on Monday of this week. I was tied up over the weekend, and I know that I said that Blurred Laws in Life will drop every Monday from here on out a couple of episodes ago after releasing each episode on Thursdays before then. But now that we are emerging from the pandemic and my own law practice has gotten very very busy and back to pre-pandemic levels I'm finding doing this podcast at the same point each week to be challenging and I don't want to give up the podcast I really enjoy doing it but I'm going to have to record and do these podcasts as time allows which might mean that we drop each episode of blurred laws in life on a different day than we have in the past, or it might rotate each week, just depending on how busy I am. We have trials coming up in very important cases that will take up a lot of my time, and um, we're just gonna have to keep doing this as we can. I wanna do an episode every week. Um, There are interesting things to talk about each week, but I'm going to have to do it as my time permits, um, because right now I'm not sleeping much. And it is, as I said, just getting a bit challenging to do it at the same time each week, because my work schedule is certainly not the same each week. In past episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, we discussed, we discussed this with Michael Rappaport, we've discussed this with Matt Goss, we've discussed this with others who have been on Blurred Laws in Life, and that is you know, my favorite songs, their favorite songs, their favorite movies of all time. And in a prior episode of Blurred Laws in Life, I listed my favorite songs of all time, but it struck me the other day when I was in a bar and Blurred Lines was being played, and I've heard it played now several times, When I've been out recently, in fact, that I cannot believe that I didn't say that my favorite songs of all time, they just have to be, would be in the number two spot, Blurred Lines, and then of course, Forever and Always, Never to Change, Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up, because those two songs did change my life, and... For better or for worse, I'm sure no one expected that those songs would change a lawyer's life, but uh, they certainly did. And um, so forever, both those songs and Blurred Lines in particular, I'm sure that the chagrin of Pharrell and Robin Thicke will always be at the top of my list with Marvin Gaye's Got To Give It Up, number one forever and always. So now with all that said, let's get on to episode number 46 of Blurred Laws and Life. So in prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, I have spoken about a few times the ruling that first was made in the Blurred Lines case where the district judge ruled right before our trial that the claims in the case were restricted based upon his reading of the 1909 Copyright Act which governs songs that were first recorded prior to January 1, 1978, to written the elements that are reflected on the written notation deposited at the Copyright Office. So for those of you who have not heard this discussion, I will just briefly address it because this is relevant to something that just happened recently in a case involving... A co writer of Marvin Gaye's, and in the song Let's Get It On, in which the allegation is made that Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud copies the melody of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. The court in the Blurred Lines case read the 1999 Copyright Act to mean that a recording is not publication and that publication is required under the 1999 Copyright Act and the 1997 Amendment to the Copyright Act. He also relied on that as well to rule that since a recording is not publication and since under the 1999 Copyright Act, under his reading of it, publication is required for copyright protection to attach to a work that it was only the written notation that was deposited with the Copyright Office because prior to 1978, the Copyright Office only accepted written notation that governs the bounds of the composition. In English, what does this mean? It means that under this ruling that was first articulated by the judge in the Blurred Lines case, 106 years after the 1909 copyright act was first enacted no judge had ever said that before in fact there were cases that suggested to the contrary that the recording is irrelevant the recording of the composition which is the best example of the composition which has all the elements of the composition since modern music is created in the studio and not like classical music by Beethoven or Bach or Mozart written out in sheet music form that what is the composition, what consists of the composition is what someone after a composition is created jots down as notes just to get that copyright on file with the Copyright Office. In other words, let's just take Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up. He created that in the studio. After he creates the final version of Got to Give It Up, his publisher needs to get that copyright and file with the Copyright Office. So they hire someone, the publisher hires someone, to transcribe what's called a lead sheet, which is just a bare-bones skeleton of the composition. And they deposit that with what's called the deposit copy with the copyright registration or the copyright application, not intended to define the scope of the work, but just to identify it so that it can get on file with the copyright office. Who knows who this person who does the lead sheet is, what qualifications they have. But what has happened is, as a result of that decision, is that Marvin Gaye is no longer the author of Got to Give It Up, but some unknown transcriber becomes the author because that is the bounds of the composition, according to the Blurred Lines judge, who was the first to articulate this decision. Now, the side effect of that decision, and this is relevant for the Ed Sheeran case I'm going to speak about in a moment, the side effect of that decision is that in the Blurred Lines case, as I mentioned in previous episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, I was not able to play the recording of Got to Give It Up for the jury because the court ruled that to expose the jury to the full recording of Got to Give It Up would be to expose the jury to elements that are not part of what he has defined as the composition, because there were only about five or six of the 14 elements we alleged that were copied that were found, arguably, in the lead sheet. So we couldn't play the recording of Got to Give It Up for the jury, because he thought that would be prejudicial to the jury. Prejudicial, I'm sorry, to Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke, which in my view is... Literally mad because that is what was copied. The recording of Got to Give It Up, the recorded composition was allegedly copied. It wasn't a lead sheet. And Marvin Gaye is the one who created the composition, and everything in that recording, every compositional element, is, in my mind, part of the composition. But nonetheless, we couldn't play the full recording of Got to Give It Up at the trial. We could only play little clips of the parts that were arguably reflected by the lead sheet and yet we still won after this decision occurred the blurred lines decision another case was tried involving led zeppelin's stairway to heaven and the judge in that case followed the blurred lines judge and ruled that the plaintiff's claims there were also restricted to this one page lead sheet now In that case, the plaintiff lost. And so now the Ninth Circuit, the Court of Appeals, was required to fully address the issue. In in the appeal on the Blurred Lines case, the court affirmed the trial court and the jury's decision without reaching the lead sheet issue, this written notation issue, because we won and the court found there was no error in in any of the issues that the defendants were able to raise On appeal. But now, since the plaintiff lost in the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven case, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals was required to address the issue head on. And even though in the blurred lines, the Ninth Circuit panel expressed skepticism that restricting the case to the lead sheet, a song's lead sheet, was appropriate, noting that the copyright office doesn't even keep lead sheets on file. They're not required to do so. I felt like the plaintiff in the Led Zeppelin case did not make the right arguments, did not articulate the issues as clearly as might have been done, and the Ninth Circuit affirmed the lead sheet decision that for pre-1978 copyrights, it is the lead sheet, the written notation, that defines the scope of the composition. Now since that Ninth Circuit decision came down in the Led Zeppelin case, there has been a lot of discussion in legal circles with legal scholars in the copyright community about ways to get around that decision. And there are two accepted ways that one can get around that decision it is pretty much accepted that the 1976 Copyright Act, the one that superseded the 1909 Copyright Act, is retroactive in application. And so what that means is that now that publication, undeniably, is not required at all, and I would suggest it wasn't even required under the 1909 Copyright Act, I think that the law there and the text of the Copyright Act supports the notion that a recording would be sufficient for copyright protection to attach, whether it's publication or not. And um, that the text of the statute makes that very clear. Nonetheless, um, the 1976 Copyright Act did away with any notion whatsoever and made it very clear that copyright protection attaches at the moment of creation. And the prevailing position is that that Copyright Act, 1976 Copyright Act, is retroactive. So that means that it has widely been agreed that one could now go in and file a new copyright registration on a pre-1978 song, deposit the recording as the composition and have all the elements of that recording protected. It has also been widely accepted that there would be another way to do it if for some reason that didn't work, which would be to refile the copyright registration or file a copyright registration with fully notated sheet music of every element found in the composition and call it a new arrangement, and then say that the infringer infringed on this new arrangement. So those were two theories that emerged in legal circles to address this issue on the lead sheet that um, resulted from both the Blurred Lines decision in the first place and then most recently and more importantly, the Ninth Circuit decision in the Led Zeppelin case. All of this now becomes relevant because of a lawsuit that has been pending for years now brought by Marvin Gaye's co-writer, Ed Townsend, um, and then by another party. Actually, there were two lawsuits filed, one brought by Ed Townsend, Marvin Gaye's co-writer of Let's Get It On, and then a second lawsuit brought by this hedge fund who purchased an interest in Let's Get It On from the heirs of Mr. Townsend. Marvin Gaye's family, and as everyone knows, I represent Marvin Gaye's family, has not participated in this lawsuit. I cannot disclose any of the details of that, but we are not named plaintiffs in that lawsuit. So let's try and keep this straight. Back in 2016, the estate of Let's Get It On co-writer Ed Townsend sued Ed Sheeran over allegations that he had ripped off the, quote, melody, harmony, and rhythmic compositions, end quote, of Marvin Gaye's song, Thinking Out Loud. A company called Structured Asset Sale then filed a second lawsuit over the same allegations on the basis that it also has a stake in Let's Get It On. While both of those cases were pending, the... Stairway to Heaven case made its way to the Ninth Circuit, and the judge, Judge Stanton, in the Southern District of New York, stayed those cases pending the ruling by the Ninth Circuit on the lead sheet issue, because in those cases, Ed Sheeran's team argued that the elements that were allegedly copied by Ed Sheeran were not found in the lead sheet, and the claims were restricted to the let's get it on lead sheet. And the district judge in New York wanted to wait to see what the Ninth Circuit said about that before deciding how to rule. So after the Ninth Circuit stairway to heaven ruling, the judge in the Thinking Out Loud lawsuit said that based upon the ruling by the Ninth Circuit, he was unlikely to allow the Townsend side and the structured asset sale side of those cases to play any recordings of let's get it on to the jury and only restrict the claims to the lead sheet. So they would have been faced with the same problem that I had in the blurred lines case. So what did the plaintiffs in those cases do? Well, The structured asset sale plaintiff decided to refile the Let's Get It On copyright with the U.S. Copyright Office last year, this time submitting the original recording as the deposit copy, as the fixation of the work. It then filed yet a new lawsuit, a third lawsuit, now claiming that Sheeran had infringed this newly registered version of Let's Get It On with the recording representing the full composition to avoid the lead sheet issue. Not surprisingly, Ed Sheeran and his publisher, Sony ATV, moved to have the new lawsuit dismissed on two grounds. First, that it was duplicative of the first lawsuit. And secondly, based on the argument that structured asset sale wasn't authorized to obtain the new registration in relation to the song and that the lack of authorization defeated any claim of copyright ownership. This new judge overseeing this third lawsuit, however, declined to dismiss the lawsuit based on those arguments. And she wrote quote, "The court concludes that the 2020 registration sufficiently alleges plaintiffs beneficial ownership, in that copyright for purposes of this motion, and that the registration's incorporation of new musical elements precludes a finding that plaintiff's two suits are duplicative. So she denied the motion by Sharon and Sony ATV, and what we said earlier was a way to get around the stairway to heaven lawsuit appears to have worked, that with the 1976 Copyright Act being retroactive— It now permitted the alleged copyright owner of, or co owner, I should say, or at least someone who had a beneficial interest in the copyright, structured asset sale, to file a new copyright attaching the recording as a new arrangement of the composition, which now contains all of the elements and which will allow the plaintiff in that lawsuit it looks like, to move forward with that case. Now, the other two cases still go on unless they are voluntarily dismissed. And the judge in this third lawsuit said that she is going to wait until Judge Stanton, who is overseeing the first two lawsuits, works those cases through to conclusion. The plaintiffs in those cases might very well end up dismissing those cases and moving forward with just the third lawsuit now that all the elements can be played and heard um, in front of the jury in that third lawsuit but this discussion shows you how blurred the law is, how there is no black and white, how it's often gray, and how legal maneuvering can sometimes avoid what at first blush appeared to be a ridiculous decision disenfranchising authors like Marvin Gaye of the composition they created and de facto making some unknown transcriber the author of a composition. But it looks like the case, the Led Zeppelin case will not have any teeth really going forward because a plaintiff who believes his or her work has been copied, a pre-78 work has been copied, can simply refile the copyright now and be able to move forward with the full case by placing the Recording um, with the Copyright Office as the full evidence of the musical composition. So I hope you have enjoyed this return on Blurred Laws in Life to our roots, so to speak. Our discussion of this very complicated and interesting uh, copyright case and copyright cases. And I hope this shows you how difficult and complicated litigation in this area is is when you think you've won you might have lost and just when you thought you lost you can figure out a way to win which of course is a metaphor perhaps for life and what better example than on this podcast blurred laws and life so have a good week everyone please be sure to follow us on our instagram page at Blurred Laws and Life with now 233 followers. I've been neglectful and not posting recently these episodes, but I'll post a notification of this one and go back and post about episodes number 44 and 45 as well. Have a good week and I'll speak to you next week on Blurred Laws and Life.